right, open your Bibles to James 3.13, just to be specific. 3.13, if you don't have a traditional Bible and you want to use one, just raise your hand and one of my friends will bring you one. You can either borrow that or you can keep it. It's our gift to you. Or you can take your smart device and open up the Bible app, or it's also called the YouVersion app, and all the notes and scriptures have already been uploaded. If you're watching us live on our online campus or one of our services at the Brown County Correctional Facility, Love you guys. So glad that you're a part of our family and so glad that you guys on this beautiful 2-0 Denver Bronco Sunday, 3-0 Sunday, you came here. Give God some praise because we are winning. Uh, so the book of James, we've spent the past month actually on this journey through this really practical book that some theologians call the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's packed with wisdom, packed with principles that are designed to help you to walk out your Jesus journey in a real, relevant, everyday way. Uh, written by the earthly half-brother of Jesus and the pastor of the great church in the city of Jerusalem. We call it a book of the Bible, but it's really a letter that was written not only for the church that James was leading in Jerusalem, but actually to all the Jewish people who were dispersed all around the world. And this letter is no joke, y'all. It is not for the faint of heart. If you are easily offended, you better buckle your seatbelt because Pastor James does not play. He does not pull any punches. He is not seeker sensitive. He is not soft spoken. He is not politically correct. He is pastoring God's people. And so far we've dealt with trials and tribulations, listening and doing faith and works, taming the tongue. Today, I want to continue on this track that we've been on and I want to talk to you about the pearl, the prize, in a message that we're calling wisdom from above. Let's pray. God, we love you. We honor you. We value you. We're grateful to you, grateful for you. Thank you for this day. This is the day that you have made. We will rejoice we will be glad in it. And so today, I thank you for my friends who are on this side of the screen and that. God, I pray blessings over them, empowerment over them. God, I pray that we would become all that you have called us to be. And in doing that, that we would become less like us and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So wisdom, it is the great prize. It is the great pearl. Scripture says it is of great value, but it is not easily attained. I don't know if you've ever looked at the formation of a pearl, but it's interesting. It's, it's intense. It's, it's intriguing. Many of us have heard that a pearl is formed when a grain of sand finds its way inside of a shell. And in some cases, of course, that is true, but that's actually pretty uncommon, not typically how a pearl is formed. Pearls are actually formed as a defense mechanism, a defense mechanism against potentially threatening irritants from the inside of the shell most of the time, such as a, as a parasite. Second most common is when there's been an attack from the outside, from a fish or, or from some sort of little amoeba that lives outside of the, of the shell. And, and when that thing damages what's called the mantle tissue, it begins to build up an interior defense mechanism. And inside that interior defense mechanism, a pearl is formed. Sometimes sand, but almost never. That's actually how wisdom functions. Wisdom functions as a defense mechanism in our lives against the attacks both inside and out. When someone gossips about you or dogs you out, when you're insecure or you're depressed, wisdom says you're not what they say. It says you're not what you 
may think wisdom, it is the great pearl, it is the great prize, it is so valuable. So valuable that in the book of 1 Kings, God appears to Solomon and he says, ask for anything that you want and I will give it to you. Solomon, of course, asks for wisdom and when he does, God is so pleased with his requests that here's what he says, since you have asked for this wisdom, not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart. Watch this. So that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Wisdom. It is the foundation for our Jesus journey. It's not easy to obtain, but it is worth the effort. It is worth the fight. So I want to look at James chapter 3, verse 13 through 18, so we can find out how we can gain some wisdom. And before you leave, I want to give you three characteristics of godly wisdom. And James really breaks that wisdom down into two parts. He talks about earthly wisdom, and he talks about heavenly wisdom. So here we go, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you. James asks, who is wise? And the Greek word for wisdom here, now the New Testament was not written in English. The Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew and Aramaic, and the New Testament was originally written in Greek. And so when we have English words, there is always a Greek origin of that word. And the Greek origin of this word wisdom here to the Greeks meant speculative knowledge, philosophy. But our Jewish friends who Pastor James was writing to, they infused with that Greek meaning something that was much richer. They understood that word to mean applying knowledge to the matter of practical living. James says, who is wise among you? And he says, who is understanding? And this is the only place in the entire New Testament that this word is used. It means a specialist or professional who can skillfully apply their expertise to practical situations. And so what James is asking is who among you is truly skilled in the art of living? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds that are done in humility. Now, in the English, there are lots of different uh, versions of scripture. There's the, you know, the New International, there's the King James, the New King James, there's the New Living, there's the Message, there's the Contemporary English. I mean, the list goes on and on. One of them that I love is called the English Standard Version. And in the ESV or the English Standard Version, they use the word meekness for humility. It's the same word that Galatians chapter 5 translates into gentleness when it lists the fruit of the Spirit. And the Greeks considered humility to be weakness. But in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus elevates humility to one of the primary virtues of Jesus' people. And he defined it as power under control. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility, power under control that comes from wisdom. He says, but if you harbor bitter envy, that word bitter here, it, it refers to undrinkable water. James was describing something that was unpalatable something that was impossible for people to digest. And when you combine that word bitter with the word envy, it describes a harsh, resentful attitude toward anyone you come across. And so he says, if you harbor bitter envy, this unpalatable anger, bitterness, attitude toward others, and selfish ambition in your hearts, and this little combination of selfish ambition comes from the root word strife. I don't know if you've ever had strife in your life, but it's certainly not fun. If you harbor this unpalatable attitude and strife in your heart, and the Greeks use this to describe 
anyone who entered politics for selfish reasons determined to achieve their personal agenda at any cost. In Galatians, same word is translated as rivalry. So watch this. If you harbor bitter envy and rivalry in your hearts, shut your mouth. That's my version. It says, do not boast about it and stop lying. Don't deny the truth. Don't walk around trying to act like you're humble. I can't stand when people try to walk around acting like they're humble when you see them when they're not with you. People always try to act humble around me, first of all. People are like, oh, Pastor, hello. Yes, I like, like, A, I'm not Confucius. You don't have to do this. You don't have to bow when you see me. You don't, there, I have no ring that you have to kiss. My ring costs $19.99. I ordered it online, and you don't want to kiss it. It's made of silicone. It's got barbell on it. You know, just, just, just skip the whole pageantry because, like, if you're trying to, there's no future in the front. You can't act humble. People who act humble present themselves as false humble. Do you know that false humility is just an aspect of arrogance? He says such wisdom. I love that he, I love that he uses air quotes. I, like it makes me think of Tommy Boy. Okay, so I eat my own dandruff. Like that's just the greatest line of any comedy ever. If you haven't watched Tommy Boy, don't come back next Sunday until you did. I'm just saying. Like this, I love that James is so sarcastic in this. Oh, such wisdom doesn't come from heaven. It's earthly. It's unspiritual. This is sick right here. It's demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. Disorder, this describes a chaotic frenzy of fighting. It's a synonym for the word that James used in chapter 1 when he said, A person without wisdom is double-minded and unstable in all their ways. That is what earthly wisdom produces. It produces instability. It produces rivalry. It produces envy and restlessness. Now, verse 17, James gets into heavenly wisdom. He says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Don't skim past this. Sometimes when we read scripture, we go too fast. There is a semicolon that separates this sentence. It is first of all purity because purity is the primary virtue. The rest of the things that he lists are products that are produced by purity. Without purity, you cannot have the products. Purity is the foundation. Pause on the purity. Because we live in an impure world that says if it feels good, do it. But can I tell you, we cannot live by our feelings. Because feelings are fleeting. They come and they go. So we have to make our hearts line up with the word, not with the world. Scripture tells us to be in the world, but not of the world. The book of Titus says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. And in our culture, it seems like everybody has an issue with something. Everybody has an opinion about everything. It seems like we just have this inner desire to slam something or to slam someone, whether it's politics or policies, our boss or our spouse, but that is bitter envy. That is selfish ambition. And frankly, according to James, it's demonic. 
If you walk around through life and you always got to have a comment about something, if you always got to have an opinion about something, if you always got to be right about something, if you start sentences, well, let me tell you this, mm -mm, stop, shut your mouth, be calm. Stop always having to have the last word about everything. I told you, James, don't play. You don't like it, don't read scripture. You don't read scripture, you're not going to live a full life. He says, if you live with this, it's demonic. Some of you've got some demonic tendencies in you that you won't recognize, that you won't realize that you have in you. And some of you need to get rid of some of the friendships that you have. Some of y'all need to get off some of the social media platforms that you're on. Some of you need to stop sharing things. Stop retweeting. Stop putting your little emoji next to it. Stop supporting bad opinions with bad decisions. Some of you need to turn off Fox News or turn off CNN and purify yourself because the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, I love that, like that just feels like you should say it. First of all, it is pure, semicolon. Then it's peace-loving, it's considerate, it's submissive, full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial and it's sincere. The book of Proverbs says the beginning of wisdom is this. I love this. This just seems like you read this and you go, huh? It says the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. <laughs> it's, like the, it's like the Dr. Phil of scripture. It's like, hey, your marriage sucks? Shut up. Stop being stupid. Stop acting like an idiot. Stop having a bad... Like that's like, does that sound like him a little bit, doesn't it? He says, first time I've ever impersonated Dr. Phil. I think it's pretty spot on. I'm just saying. It's like, if you have a bad marriage, stop having a bad marriage. It's like the most clear-cut, dry, let me put you on national television and say, you're stupid, you're dumb, you're a bad husband, stop acting like that, put your credit card away. We'll see you next week. And then he grabs his wife's hand, and they walk out. It's the greatest thing. Oh, my gosh. Wisdom and understanding. He says, in the beginning, get wisdom, though it will cost you all you have. Hello. Get understanding. So James puts those two things together as well. We read it in verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you. So like the book of wisdom, Proverbs instructs us. We're gonna try to do that this morning. We're gonna try to get some wisdom. And let me give you three characteristics of godly wisdom. Here's the first. Godly wisdom springs up from godly principles. I have bet my life on the fact that this book, God's word, is true. And so because of that assumption in my life, I am going to live my life by these principles. The world will not change my direction because wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. And that's the same word that's used in John 3, 3 that says, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. And the word that's translated into purify here does not mean perfect. It's talking about purity from the standpoint of integrity, which again doesn't mean perfect. It means whole. The word integrity comes from the root word integer, which means whole number. James is saying heavenly wisdom is bought in on the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and will fight to live a life Listen, that is wholesome. I'm not asking you to be perfect. What I am asking you is to live your life for God with your whole life, with your marriages and your parenting, in your careers and with your finances, with your words and with your actions. 
And so the Proverbs tells us, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths, they're going to be find out. Heavenly wisdom doesn't cut corners. Scripture says you can be sure, confident, positive that your sin, it is going to find you out. So be pure. How? Live by godly principles. You find those in here. Here's the second characteristic of godly wisdom is godly wisdom acts with godly motives. It does not act with earthly motives. It doesn't sabotage people. It doesn't tear people down or push people down. It celebrates a coworker when they get a promotion and you don't. It celebrates a neighbor when they get a new car, even when you think it's too fancy. It doesn't push people down. It pulls people up. And I understand this is not natural. This is so difficult. And so the book of Philippians tells us, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but, but each to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus. Back to James. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, semicolon, then it is peace-loving. This means you love peace. <laughs> you don't love drama. Some people love them some drama, don't they? They love conflict. They love turmoil. They love to be, uh, like they just like they got to be in a fight with somebody. It's, uh, if it's, God, it's your mama or it's your sister or it's your neighbor or and it's, if you don't have drama, you stir drama up. But that's not godly wisdom. Don't be a gossip or a listening ear. Don't be a hater or a button pusher. L listen, y'all should have stopped that when you hit puberty. You should have stopped that when you, with, with, with your sibling, I got kids. I, she loves them, thank God we ain't got 10. That's all I'm saying. I, would, I wouldn't even be here. That's all I'm saying. I, I'd be driving a 15 passenger van. I'd shave my mustache off, wear a big wool hat. I mean, I would be crazy. I don't even know what I would do because I couldn't take this no more. He did, he did, he, she, she. You may, like if you got kids, you know what button pushers are. You're not supposed to be that. Stop trying to push each other's button. Be peace-loving. Then James says, heavenly wisdom is considerate. These are people who consider other people. Think about others who care about others. Y'all, you have no idea what people are going through. Could we just once think about other people? Could, could we just occasionally be considerate? Next. If you want heavenly wisdom, be submissive. And this does not mean weak. It just means that you're willing to listen. You're willing to yield. You're willing to admit that you may not know everything. It means you're teachable. Heavenly wisdom is submissive. It's teachable. It's also full of mercy and good fruit. Full of mercy. Full of of good fruit. If you were here when we talked about chapter two, you remember that James said, mercy triumphs over judgment. In 1 Corinthians 13, we call it the love chapter. It says, love keeps no record of wrongs. Are you full of mercy? Are you full of good fruit? Jesus said, each tree is known by its fruit. So what is good fruit? Galatians 5 says, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Heavenly wisdom is full 
of those things. It's also impartial and sincere. In the Greek, both these words come from the word hypocrite. (laughs) If you've been in church, you think you know what hypocrite means. You go, oh, I know what hypocrite means. It's Johnny. It's, uh, I know that guy. That's why we came to Life Church because our last place was filled with hypocrites. But m- maybe you don't know what a, what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is just actually a Greek actor. Back in the day, instead of a bunch of actors playing a bunch of different roles, the Greeks just had the same actor play all the roles, but put on different masks. They just were totally fake. It was like a one-man production, and they were called a hypocrite. And James is saying that. Don't try to be a one-man production. Don't do that. Don't put on different masks and try to play different roles. Like, be who you were called to be. But that's one of the things I love about this church, is that for the most part, we are real. And that is one of the qualities of heavenly wisdom. But James doesn't leave it there. He tells us it's not enough just to have the qualities of wisdom. We have to use those qualities to make peace. He says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. When you have godly wisdom, you sow peace and you harvest righteousness. Here's the third characteristic of godly wisdom is godly wisdom is intent on serving godly purposes. Jesus laid the groundwork for his little brother in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, when he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Peace, that is our purpose, and it is our protector. The apostle St. Paul, who wrote half the New Testament, affirms that point in the book of Philippians when he tells his friends and us, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts. Are you making peace? Later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us how to do that. He says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And that is our ultimate job, to look for any place where there isn't light and bring light, to look for any place where there isn't life and bring life. That's why our mission statement says Life Church exists to bring the life-giving message of Jesus to the people of the 920, and then in brackets we have now, and beyond. How can we bring light? How can we give life? Get wisdom. How do we do that? James says, ask for it. The 111th Psalm says, how can men be wise? The only way is to begin by reverence for God. It's saying, you want peace? Get close to God. You want wisdom? Be like God. If you wanna be like God, you have to spend time with God. That's why we do things like growth track and grow more and alpha, why we have life groups, which you can still sign up for and they're starting here momentarily because we want you to be wise, which means you don't need to learn more about God. Plenty of us know a lot about God. What we need to do is learn to be like God. The only way we can learn to be like God is through relationship with him and people who are like him. It only comes through getting close to Jesus. I want that for you. That is what moves me. That is what motivates me. And so I have a scripture that I I pray over your life. I do it pretty regularly. And it says this, my goal is that you may be encouraged in heart and united in love 
so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that you may know the mystery of God, namely Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I wonder, will you receive that prayer over your life today? I hope so, because if you'll get close to God, if you'll serve him, he will fill you with wisdom. And when he fills you with wisdom, you will love your life. Will you do that today? Will you get wisdom? Will you get close to Jesus? Would you close your eyes all across this place? Wisdom, it's getting close to Jesus. Salvation is getting far from you and close to Jesus. I was a couple years ago, I just started praying that little prayer, God, make me less like me and more like you. That's my prayer for me and that's my my prayer for you, and maybe you're here today and, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And in the church world, this is, this is the goal. Like we don't have church just so that we can gather together and take offerings. We have church so that people can get far from themselves and close to Jesus, so that people can come into relationship with him. And so we have words that we use. We talk about salvation. We, we talk about receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And, and all of those things just point to one thing, becoming less like you and, and more like him. So this morning, we're gonna give you opportunity to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And simply all that means is that you've acknowledged that you can't rescue yourself anymore. And so because of that, you need his help. And so this morning, we're gonna give you opportunity to do that, and here's how. In just a moment, I'm gonna ask for people to do two things. First is with nobody looking around, I'm gonna ask for people to raise their hand and make eye contact with me, and that's, a, that's like a form of confession saying like, I'm a sinner, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I want to. And then I'm gonna ask for people in here to repeat a prayer after me. I'm gonna ask everybody to repeat the prayer. I'm not gonna center people out or have people walk to the front or make people feel small. If you're here, you say, Sean, I wanna receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior, get far from me and close to him with nobody looking around. Would you raise your hand and make eye contact with me right now? Thanks, 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 thanks. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks, thanks. Thanks, thank you. Miss anybody? Thanks, thanks. Okay, I'm gonna ask everybody in here to say these words after me. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. Forgive me, come into my life, change me, make me new, be my Lord, be my savior in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey friends, if you prayed that prayer, would you do us a favor and would you take the hello card that's in the seat back in front of you or if you're in a front or a very back row, it's underneath your chair. Fill out whatever information you're all right with us having. Check the box that's highlighted in yellow that says I'm choosing to follow Jesus. And if you'd put that in the black buckets when they come around in a minute or take them out to the Welcome Center, we want the opportunity to pray for you and walk this journey away from you toward Jesus together. With you. We also have a packet that we would love for you to have inside as a three-month devotional. Every day there's a reading and a scripture, and there's also a CD called What Now, which is a 12-minute presentation where I talk about how to go from where you are toward where God wants you to be. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes one more time. Don't leave yet. We're not done. Pastor Sonny's going to close us out here in just a second. But I wonder if you're hearing you say, like, I'm a Jesus guy or I'm a Jesus girl, but you don't think you've been walking in wisdom. You say, Sean, I want you to pray that God would give me supernatural, heavenly wisdom. I want to pray for you. If that's you, would you just raise your hand today in this place? So God, for so many people who say, give me wisdom, we don't have it, but we want it. I pray blessings over them. Give them wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.